You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammy. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, sometimes you get a gospel lesson like we heard a few moments ago, where you see Jesus being angry and weeping over a city that would soon be destroyed. Uh, and we know, we just know that if the sermon's going to be good, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt a little bit. That it would be too easy for us to skirt around the words of Jesus or the implication of his words. But I think that especially in these moments, we have to be bold. And we have to remember that the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Jesus wants to teach us the reality of God's anger so that we would learn to fear him. And so think about the picture that was set before us. You know, amid the shouts of Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Jesus wept. There were tears in his eyes. He looks at Jerusalem and he says, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus then speaks a curse. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. On August the 10th, in the year of our Lord, 70, the temple the place where the Lord had set his name in the midst of his people, was obliterated by fire. And after five months of bloody and terrible siege, on September the 8th, Jesus' words came to pass. Not one stone was left on top of another in in this, the city of David. Hundreds of thousands died, and still more were forced into slavery and exile. Every time around this you know, time of year, I, I try to go through Josephus' account of what happened to the city of Jerusalem, and uh, the stories are just too terrible to bear. Our Lord says, And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now think about that. The anger that was being poured out on top of Jerusalem, that that anger of God would have consumed and destroyed the entire world. But for the sake of the gospel, that you would hear the words of Jesus and believe them, God stayed his hand so that it was only this city that was consumed. It's sobering. What happened to Jerusalem? And it flies in the face of every time the devil tempts us to think that God never really ever gets angry. 
And so against the devil's lies and, and the attitude of our world, we have to learn that there is a real danger that our hearts can become hardened against God's word to the point where we could also suffer the doom that, that fell upon Jerusalem. So this morning teaches us to especially pray for God's mercy, that we would take this warning to heart, that we would learn to fear God, and that especially, and most importantly, that we would, that we would treasure the time of Jesus' visitation, that we would learn that his word forges a true and lasting peace between sinners and Almighty God. The sermon this morning is divided up really into two parts, for the sake of your understanding. <laughs> the first part is we're going to talk about how the destruction of Jerusalem serves as an example and a warning for us. And in the second part, we'll talk about the visitation of Christ in his mercy and how this spares us from God's anger and judgment. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that here in, in this world, in, in our culture and society, and dare I say, even within the Holy Christian Church, uh, we've been trained over the past decades, maybe the last century and a half, to remove the possibility of God's anger from our minds. The thought is that we know better than the Holy Ghost when it comes to, to God. We've been trained to take comfort in our advanced modern sensibilities that put aside the parts of Scripture that we, that we find a little bit terrifying so that we can fill in the gaps with what our heart tells us how God should be. So the temptation is always when we hear in the Holy Scriptures the Lord saying, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Or the temptation is to tune out, right? To think to myself, this doesn't really apply to me somehow. And then also when we're going through catechism class, to put it out of our minds when he says, God threatens to punish all who break these commandments. Therefore, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them. The response, I think, goes two ways. The, the very first way is that we think, like I said before, that God isn't speaking to me, right? That these words were just, you know, the words of God for a people in a faraway place, in a faraway time. He doesn't really mean them to be directed at me. The second thing, the second thing to say to ourselves, uh, the second response would be to think that God, who says such things, isn't deserving or worthy of my faith. That when the scriptures tell me about a nice God, then that is the God that I will, I will believe in. And every time that God is angry with people because of their sins, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to receive that as God's word. Now, we know better as Lutherans, don't we? Right? Because we have been taught from the very first commandment that we are to fear, love, and to trust in God above all things. And we've been taught to confess that not just part of the scriptures are God's word, but the entirety of the Holy Scriptures. And that includes all of the language throughout the scriptures that teach us to fear God. But nevertheless, because we are surrounded by the world that resists and fights against it, and because the same devil that's led the world astray is also coming after us, every time we hear about the fear of God, it shocks us. It's always a little bit unsettling. 
We squirm and say to ourselves, the scriptures don't mean fear in the same way that I think of fear, right? Now, I've played these own gymnastics in my own mind, right? And trying to explain away the language of fear in the scriptures. And the problem is, whenever I try to come up with an excuse or an explanation, it always seems pretty lame, right? And unconvincing. The fact is, I'm not clever enough to think of a way around the problem of God being angry with me because of my sins and that I will be judged. And so when I hear Jesus speaking a curse against Jerusalem and I see that in in the year 70 the, the destruction happened as Jesus promised, it scares me. And I'm pretty sure that that it should scare me. I have to ask myself the question, who am I? Who am I that I think that I can avoid destruction when the Lord's chosen city and people could not? You know, Martin Luther made this point concerning this text. He said that Jerusalem was the most holy of of all the cities in all the world. That Jerusalem had the prophets the temple, the sacrifices, the great history of God being present with and saving his people. And yet they persisted and insisted on sinning. They killed the prophets. They despised the word. And they polluted polluted the sacrifices with their greed and their desire for money and profit. So bad was their desire for greed, in fact, that Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, he cleanses the temple. But did they receive the word of their incarnate Lord? No. Jesus comes back on the very last week of his earthly ministry before his death and resurrection, and he has to clear the temple again. They would not receive him. They would not listen. And so this is the conclusion. That sin and insistence upon sin leads to God's anger, and he judges us. And the ash heap of Jerusalem teaches that it's a deadly mistake to think that we can just ignore God's anger. Jesus said about Jerusalem that they ignored the things that made for peace. They ignored it for so long that the things that made for peace were actually hidden from their eyes. It was kept from them because they did not know the time of their visitation. It's not as if the city of Jerusalem and the inhabitants of Jerusalem just stumbled into sin because of their weakness, but they, in fact, sought out sin and they insisted upon it. They knew what God's word said, but they would rather have peace with their own sin and the weakness of their flesh and with the the lies of the devil than with their Lord who was calling them to repentance. And so when Jesus was entering through their gates on Palm Sunday, the fact that Jesus was there visiting them for the sake of mercy and kindness, all of that was hidden, hidden from their eyes. There's an old word that the Lutherans used to use to describe this state of having a seared conscience and a hardened heart, and it's called being obdurate of being irreparably hardened in your heart to the point 
where Jesus' words and his deeds are totally lost on you. And the examples from scriptures that you could probably find of this would be that of Pharaoh, right? Who continued to harden his heart against Moses when he brought the Lord's word to him until finally the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. We should look at these examples of Pharaoh, maybe perhaps even Judas, and say to to ourselves, what sins do I love more? What sins do I want to engage in more than to repent of them? And then to hear and to learn that it is possible for our consciences to become so hardened against sin that God finally hands us over to our desire to be at peace with our twisted flesh and the sins that would destroy us. When we know what God says about these sins and we insist upon them, this is testing God. We might even trick ourselves into thinking that, well, if God didn't destroy me in the very first time I committed the sin, and then He didn't destroy me in the second time I committed the sin, in the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, maybe, maybe God is actually fine with this sin. Maybe it's okay that I keep on sinning, that he's not really angry with me. But that's testing God. And to tell you the truth, it's confusing his mercy with his permission. It's resisting the call of repentance that we have received through the word. Now, I want to read to you a a portion from the that talks about this obdurate state, a portion from the uh, Proverbs of Solomon, from the very first chapter. And you can see how this certainly applied to Jerusalem and to anyone else who actively resisted God's word and called to repentance. The Lord says, Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one heeded, Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when the terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge. It did not choose the fear of the Lord and would have none of my counsel and despised my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. To be without dread of this disaster, dear saints. This is the hope that Jesus also sets before you this morning. You know your sins. And you know now God's anger against you. And you fear God because of it. But because you do not at this moment taste God's wrath, this is in fact mercy. Yes, the searing of the conscience is a real thing, but you have not been hardened because you hear the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord comes as a hammer and breaks the stone of your heart to pieces. 
You are not lost. And in fact, Jesus has you where he wants you. You know the time of Jesus' visitation and the things that make for peace. What things are those? That Jesus rides into Jerusalem not to destroy Jerusalem, but to be whipped, to be spat upon, to be led outside of the city and crucified. Jesus comes humble and lowly, riding on a colt, the full of a donkey, to suffer the entirety of God's anger. More, more, infinitely more than what Jerusalem suffered in the year 70. Jesus, the true temple, was torn down, forsaken by God on the cross, and destroyed by the anger of God. But Jesus promised, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And this promise he also kept. And the true temple of God was raised imperishable. Yes, there are hardened sinners for whom Jesus weeps for in this gospel lesson, but there is another congregation. And these are the saints. The dear Christians who are hanging on to Jesus' words, who won't be counted among the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief people of the uh, and the chief uh, and the chief people uh, who are seeking to destroy Jesus, to tear down the temple. Instead, they insist on hanging on to his words. Jesus said concerning these saints, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. See, these people weren't drawn to the stones of a temple, nor did they put their trust in the foundation of a mere city. But they came to Jesus. These Christians... These Christians have peace with God, even if Jerusalem is leveled and the ancient temple is gone. They are the ones who are being built into the true temple of Christ's body and becoming partakers of the things that that make for peace. Just as you this morning are being built into this same foundation by remembering your baptism, by hearing the words of forgiveness and mercy, by receiving Jesus' body and blood for your forgiveness. Here in this house, Jesus visits you. You know it. You believe it. Here in this house, from this pulpit and from this altar, there is comfort and there is refuge. Here you dwell secure and you are at ease. And you know that on the day of judgment, your sins are forgotten. That your iniquities are pardoned. And when God, your Heavenly Father, looks upon you to pronounce judgment, He sees sees nothing but the righteousness of His own Son, Jesus. 
This righteousness, this word of peace, blesses you this morning, dear saints. And so I implore you, take comfort in what Jesus has done for you and embrace your Lord in faith in this, his time of visitation. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.